Hi, this is Debbie Taylor-Williams. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast. I'm so glad you're here and pray the Lord will speak to you through this message. As we continue with the acts of the Holy Spirit, because this is what we're studying, even though we are looking at the apostles and their work, we're looking at how it is being done by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so today we are going to see how Peter declared prophecy. He declared scripture. Scripture is prophecy. Prophecy is scripture. And Peter declared scripture that has been fulfilled, and he declared scripture prophecy that is to be fulfilled. Now, I am going to go ahead and back up, even though we have already gone over verses 16, that was the beginning of Peter's sermon or his message, because you know that the Bible was not broken down into chapters. It was not broken into divisions for study like the commentators have done for us. So it's important for us to read his sermon in context. But even as I use those words sermon, I need to share with you that I do not feel sermon is actually the correct word for what Peter does. Perhaps you can think of going to church and your pastor may have a template for his sermon and it may start with some current event or it may start with a joke or it may start with an illustration. Uh, a lot of times pastors and teachers are accustomed to having to grab your attention, to pull you in so you will listen. Well, Peter doesn't need anything to grab the audience's attention. To, for the Jews that are there to pay attention to what he is saying, because they have already seen this incredible display of the power of the Holy Spirit to send. So Peter gets right into it. As we look at this, I want us to look at how this word declared, though, even means it is to speak with the Spirit's power and anointing to say something of a spiritual nature. And so Peter is not giving, quote, a sermon with a little first part, second part, whatever. What he is giving is scripture. He is giving the word of God. And I can almost imagine Peter as he, during that interim, those 10 days when Jesus said that the Holy Spirit was going to come upon them, and then those 10 days that they waited, we know that they must have been, in addition to prayer, they must have, in addition, been pouring over the scripture. And I've wondered if Peter didn't go up to some of the ones like Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, but uh, somebody who would know the scriptures, I almost wonder if he didn't go up to him and say, now where? Where is that prophesied? Where is it? And Nicodemus could have offered, Nicodemus could have, he, ha, having access to the scrolls, could have said, well, right here in Joel, it says that it will come about after this time that I will pour forth of my spirit and my sons and daughters will prophesy and your young men and your daughters will prophesy even on my bond slaves. And Peter must have wondered and said, well, could that be it. And so when Peter stands up, it's the very first thing he does. Peter, taking his stand with the 11, raised his voice and he declared to them, and let's go ahead and go to verse 16 after explaining they weren't drunk. He said, this is that. This, this, you're seeing all these flames of tongue. This is that. This is Joel. This is Joel the prophet, what he prophesied. This is that. Would you just say those words with me? 
This is that. He is connecting the dots for them. And so he declares, he speaks these dignified spiritual words in the power of the Holy Spirit. And why is this so important? And friends, oh, how I just am so excited you're here. That's why I want you to invite people. Because read Romans 10, 17 with me. It's on the overhead. Faith, read it with me out loud. Faith. What brings people to salvation? It's not you begging, it's not you whining. It's the word of God. This is what the Holy Spirit uses to convict people. And so we need to say and ask ourselves and question for sure, well, is Bible prophecy, is the word true? Would you read what you're seeing right there and say it real loud? Yes. yes. Is the Bible, is the prophecy, is the word of God true? Yes. It is. Now, I don't expect you to see every little word that I have on there, but I know some of you are going back and you're watching the video and you're taking your time and you can pause and you can study. And so I'm preparing this much information and graphics for you who are wanting to study a little bit perhaps more intently. But we look at prophecy fulfilled because Peter is saying this, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is that. It's Joel's prophecy. And we are able to look at 4,000 years before Christ. And scholars have looked and they have calculated the days and the number of years from Adam to, to Cain and Cain to, and, and all down from people for all the genealogies. And they have estimated this 4,000 year time period between Adam and the time of Christ's first coming and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So we see prophecy fulfilled. Could you just say, yes, prophecy has been fulfilled. And so Peter says, this is that. We are seeing prophecy fulfilled before our eyes. We are the generation, Peter was saying. We are the generation of seeing prophecy fulfilled that others simply read about, taught about, thought about. Now again, I don't expect you to understand or not understand, but be able to read all of this. But the next frame that I show you is the last 2,000 years. The church has been in existence for approximately 2,000 years. Pentecost, we are the church, what some people say, the church age. We are at this period of time where the church has been born and we are living and we are thriving. If you add those 4,000 years and those 2,000 years, You've got 6,000 years, and do you remember what Peter wrote? And he said, Beloved, with the Lord, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. We know that the millennial kingdom is going to be a 1,000-year time period. And there are those scholars and commentators who believe that as we end near the end, I should say, of our 6,000 years since Adam, that as a thousand years is, is a day, what did God do on the seventh day? He rested. And there are those scholars and Bible commentators that believe that as Peter introduced that we are in the last days and it's been 2,000 years, that we may be nearing the time 
of the seventh day, which is when Christ would return and establish his millennial kingdom. We don't know what generation that will be, but isn't it exciting? Because we stand, you see that little silhouette of a person perhaps, right above the word last. We stand and we look at prophecy fulfilled in the past, and we look at prophecy yet to be fulfilled, and we are not to be blasé about it. We are not to be bored about it. Bible study and our commitment to Christ is not to be secondary. It is supposed to be first and foremost, because the Bible describes us as Christ's priest, that we are a kingdom of priests, and we have received the kingdom anointing. All of these scriptures that I have in black at the bottom, Acts 1-11, Zechariah 4-4, Revelation 1-7, Matthew 24-30, Titus 2-13, Revelation 19-11-16, all talk about the second coming, Christ's return, which will be, as you probably know, at the Battle of Armageddon, which then he will set up his uh, millennial kingdom, his thousand-year reign. This term, last days, is used in this passage, and it's used often throughout the whole Bible. And we see this principle that just as Bible prophecy has been fulfilled, it will be fulfilled. I have the flood up there on one far side because Noah preached about the flood. God told God. God told him that people were exceedingly wicked and violent and that he was going to bring a flood to destroy the earth, to destroy the world, that it would cover the earth. Did the flood come? Yes. Did people in his generation pay any attention? No. You and I stand here with Peter declaring the word of God. You're a Sunday school teacher. You're a children's worker. You're a neighbor who holds a, a neighborhood Bible study. You gather with your friends and you declare the word of God with one another. Prophecy, to, to speak prophecy or to prophesy simply means you declare the word of God. You are, it is not used. It's the office of a prophet who foretold something that had not yet happened. Today, you and I are declaring what's already been written for us, for our edification. And so we see this, that as the generations were warned about the flood, we are also now warned that our current heavens and earth are going to be destroyed by a fire the next time. Are we in the last days? Will you decide? 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 6 describes the last days. He says, in the last day, days, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited. I love how it throws conceited in there with brutal. We've got the whole realm of descriptive phrases of the last days. Lovers of pleasure, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. That better not be you and me, because we have the power. We better not hold to a form and show up at church and Bible study, but not live by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a call to you and me. And the next description that it is given is weak women. 
weighed down with sins. Oh, friends, let's not come to Bible study just to say, oh, well, I go to women's Bible study on Wednesday or Thursday night. No! We better not be a weak woman weighed down with sin. This is a call to us. This is the word of God. This is the Holy Spirit speaking to you and me today. I have been a weak woman. I've been weighed down by various sins, so I can, I can talk about it. I've been there. Have you ever been a weak woman weighed down by various sins? Can I see your hand? Uh, yes, we can relate to this, and we are supposed to relate to it because God's word is relevant, but it's a warning. And listen to this last. This really could be descriptive of women who go to Bible study, led on by various impulses. Well, I just can't hold my tongue. I can't hold my temper. Really, that's an impulse. Always learning. Oh, I've been in Bible study for 59 years. Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. This truth is supposed to be transformative. Are we in the last days? Jesus said in Matthew 16, 3, do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky? If, it's gonna, if there's a, a sunset red, then the next day it's going to mean this weather, and he describes all that. And then he says, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. It was a charge Jesus made. You can look at the signs of the weather in the clouds and the sunset and know what the weather's going to be the next day. Can't you discern the times in which you're living now, no, Jesus said in Acts 1 that it is not for us to know the times and epochs that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but at the same time, you and I as a church, as believers, would not be given the descriptions of the last day. Jesus would not say those words if we weren't supposed to have our eyes open and be paying attention. Pay attention to the 50 people who died in the back of the truck that were being smuggled in. Take a pic, pay attention to child pornography. Pay attention to children and others being, being used as sex slaves. Pay attention to the 1.5 billion babies that were murdered in the last 50 years. Pay attention because God is. There's not one thing that he is not seeing. Revelation 18, 13 talks about the reason for God's judgment. And one of the phrases in there is cargoes of slaves and human lives that was taking place at the time. Second Peter 3, 3 and 3 through 4, if you want to open your Bibles, you can or you can read here. Peter writes and he says, know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being, read those words with me, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for 
fire, keep reading, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Friends, we need, we need to be busy about the work of the Lord. In 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9, he says, do not let your this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day, which I just showed you on that chart. The Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. In 2 3, 2 Peter 3.10, but the day of the Lord, read this verse with me, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. You may be sitting here and this is the first time that you have heard this. It's good. It's good because God isn't keeping anything a secret from us. And if it doesn't light a fire under you and me to study, to know, to speak, to declare, not on a soapbox, but to have through the power of the Holy Spirit the words to say to our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers. We need to. This last week I received an email and I don't know the person that it's from. I hope I can find it. But it said, here it is, and it said, hi Debbie, you know how people can just pop your name in there and you may not even know them. Uh, and, and then it said, I compiled a series and it was regarding uh, events of in scriptural events or whatever, and it says, please read it with an open mind and like you do not have a view or position. You're not gonna tell me not to have a view or position. Uh-uh, you're not gonna tell me not to have a view or position. Yes, I guarantee you, when I was writing the end time study, I studied harder than I've ever studied in my whole life because I wanted to know all the different views because there are a ton of different views and some people believe in the rapture and some don't. And some people believe when the rapture will occur and others believe at different times and we should not argue over those kinds of things. We need to be firm in the essentials of the faith. That is that Jesus Christ died for our sins and he rose. But the other things we do not need to argue, but don't ask me not to approach something that somebody is wanting to present to me with me just being a, oh, well, I don't know. No, and that should not be you or me either. Second Peter 3.11 advises us, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be? Well, we need to be holy in our conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. This is Joel 28. This is Acts 2, 19 through 21 of Peter's sermon. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. This is that that is going to one day happen. 
So in Acts 2, 22 through 32, Peter declares prophecy fulfilled and to be fulfilled. That's your first blank on your listening guide. He declares prophecy fulfilled and yet to be fulfilled. But he also declared proof of Jesus's deity. Let's read in, in Acts 2, beginning with verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. It's the second time he's called them to listen, to heed. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, and he's emphasized twice now, man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. This was not a surprise to God. It was in his saving grace plan, knowing that we would be fallen sinners, held captive by the devil. He chose us to redeem us from the snares of Satan. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death, but God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. He goes on and he speaks about David's quote and how David could not have been quoting about himself, not undergoing decay, being at the right hand of God. And he uses the Psalms and when David spoke prophetically, to again call to their attention that they had proof of Jesus' deity because David prophesied that the Messiah would not stay dead. His body would not be allowed to undergo decay. He says in verse 29, Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he died and was buried in his tomb. Is, it's over there. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on the throne, he looked ahead and he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor his flesh suffered decay. This God, this Jesus, God raised up again to which we are all eyewitnesses. In Corinthians, Paul wrote and he said that there were at least 500 that saw him and he described that. And so we see the proof of Jesus' deity, the miracles, the wonders, the signs God performed through him, just as you know. He may have pointed his finger. You nailed to a cross, God raised, we're witnesses. He's exalted to the right hand of God. We saw him go up. And really important here, we know he's proved deity. He poured forth his spirit, the Holy Spirit, that you see dancing, resting on the heads of all of these. You heard the sound come from heaven. You saw the manifestation of what was prophesied through Joel. You have proof. The Holy Spirit can't be poured out except by the Holy God. You can't give what you don't have. Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit. He was able to pour out because he was full of the Holy Spirit. 
God has made him Lord and Christ. So we see that Peter declared prophecy fulfilled. He declared proof of Jesus. And third, he declared personal accountability to Jesus. Say that word with those words with me, personal accountability to Jesus. He said, you saw the miracles, the wonders, the signs. God performed them through him in your midst and he emphasized, you know. You nailed him to the cross. You put Jesus to death. Jesus exalted to God's right hand, forth forth the Holy Spirit. You see and hear Jesus, whom you crucified, is Lord and Christ. And right now, folks, right now, their hearts have already started beating, but it's all coming together. It's all coming together. They missed the Messiah. They missed the promised Messiah, and not only did they miss him, they killed him. And where is he? He is seated at the right hand of God, and as David prophesied, he is going to put his enemies under his feet as a footstool. I guarantee you, if somebody broke into our house, they raped and beat me, they tortured me, they were, cap they were captured, and then they showed up in court, and my husband, who is a senior judge, my husband was the one sitting behind the bench in the black robe, and they were brought before Keith, and they were told, it's his wife, that woman, that you beat, that you raped, that you torture. Her husband is your judge. How do you think that criminal would feel? And that's, a, that's not even a minuscule example of what those Jews, those religious Jews, it's come together in their brains. The Holy Spirit through Peter's speaking the word of God, speaking Joel, speaking Psalms. It's come together. It's come together for them. We see this principle that God's sovereign plan does not excuse personal responsibility. God's sovereign plan does not excuse personal responsibility. We put Jesus to death because of our sin, because sin had to be atoned for, it had to be dealt with. The fourth thing we see here in Acts 2, 37 through 47, is that Peter declared people repent to be forgiven. Because when Peter says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord, that means fully God, and Christ, Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles in Acts 2.37, brethren, what shall we do? 
Have you ever messed up so royally? Maybe you had an affair. Maybe you murdered somebody. May I don't know. Maybe you stole. Maybe, well, I don't know. Whatever you did and you were caught. Have any of you ever felt so guilty, so bad, so caught? And this is a jillion times worse because he's saying you killed the Lord God and Messiah sent to you. And they are pierced to the heart. And Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. He is drawing here the parallel that John the Baptist baptized people for the repentance of their sins, but they didn't know it was in the name of Jesus Christ. And he's saying the name that you're supposed to be washed by the Holy Spirit with, the name that is going to wash you of your sins, that name that is going to give you power is Jesus Christ. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit with the washing you get the gift, because the gift of God's holiness cannot come in a foul, degenerate heart, but washed because you've repented of your sins, then the Holy Spirit can come and make his residence within you. So Peter declares this to the people. Think again, you Jews, think again about what you've done. Change your mind about who Jesus is. Lord, and who you are, a sinner. Be baptized in the name of Jesus. I want us to sum up some things to hear, and that is that salvation, as I've mentioned, comes by hearing Romans 10, 17, and the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. That's why they felt pierced to the heart. And if you have somebody that you know is not saved and you want to share with them, know the word of God. Have you a scripture? Because it is when you speak this word, not yelling, not screaming, not adamantly, but you know the word, you believe the word, and you say the word of God, that's what the Holy Spirit can use. That's what the Holy Spirit can use. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. What is the unpardonable sin? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is rejecting, denying the truth of who Jesus is when it is made clear to a person. So that loved one, that friend, that neighbor who has been convicted of their sin, who has been convicted that Jesus is Lord, and they say, I don't want anything to do with him. That is a blasphemy of the Holy Spirit because you are denying the Holy Spirit's work of showing you who Jesus is. Salvation is not mental acknowledgement of facts. Jesus lived, he died, he rose again. He's ascended to the right hand of God. I've got that down, I learned it in elementary church school, Sunday school. Salvation is a response to the Spirit's piercing of our hearts when he convicts us. We are a sinner in need of salvation and we cry out to God, repenting of our sins and confessing Jesus as Lord. Jesus said that there are going to be many who say on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these good things in your name? And he'll say, I never knew you. A saved person bears fruit of their salvation. And we see this in the final verses of Acts. They were changed. They were different. 
They wanted to gather with one another. They wanted to share communion, which was their sharing of the meals and the bread. A saved person bears fruit. Look at these verses that Jesus says in Matthew 3, 8, 3, 10, 7, 19, and 12, 33. He says you will know them by their fruit. You will know them by their fruit. Abram Poljak said, if the Bible is true, and if Yeshua is the Messiah and the King of the Jews, then the Messianic Jewish movement is the most important phenomenon of our time. Are you doing more than showing up for Bible study? Are you a part of the movement of the Holy Spirit in our generation, knowing that just as prophecy was fulfilled, prophecy is yet to be fulfilled again. Will you, will we tell others there is a rapture there is a seven-year tribulation there is the return of christ there is the battle of armageddon there is the millennial king kingdom there is the destruction of this heaven and earth and there is a new heavens and earth that await us god acts suddenly first corinthians fifteen thirty four says become sober minded as you ought and stop sinning for some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Heavenly Father, we pray that we are not those to whom Paul is saying those words. We pray that you use us that we are not merely receptacles of the good news. We are not merely receptacles of getting to come here on a beautiful Wednesday or Thursday or whatever day and study your word. We're not merely the receptacles of being able to click a button and watch this video. We are not merely the receptacles who are glad for the additional knowledge we have. Lord God, we pray you break us so that you in us so that the Holy Spirit in us reach others. Because we believe what you have said is true. And one day, one generation is going to experience everything that you have showed us in your word. Help us prepare others. Help us prepare that generation and the next. In your holy name we pray this. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about how to grow in Christ or to be saved, visit www.debbietaylorwilliams.com. Connect with me on Instagram at Debbie Taylor Williams. God bless you.